0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Writing the Rapids, the show where I, Joe Bilecki, talk to writers about writing. Very often, those writers have been recommended to me by other writers who have previously been on the show. In the case of this month's guest, Garrett Strickland, he was recommended to me by M. Kitchell. So, if you like this conversation, you'll probably want to go back and listen to that one, although you probably should go back and listen to that one anyway. And if you enjoyed that one, it is very likely you'll enjoy this one. Garrett Strickland is an ordealist and liminologist and the author of Ungula from Inside the Castle. His forthcoming substack, Portology, is coming in September 2021, and you can find him on Twitter at Grotstricken. Before we get into the interview, let's ask you for money, please give me money. You can do so at paypal.me slash noisemakerjoe for a one-time donation, or for a more recurring donation, you can head on over to patreon.com slash noisemakerjoe. I got three tiers. They all have their own unique things. If you want to know what those things are, patreon.com slash noisemakerjoe. Now, without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Garrett. (music) been watching a lot of stuff on youtube with philosophers talking to each other and the thing that generally happens there is that they decide they need to define their terms before they really start getting into it and i think especially with you i would like to get your working definition for ordealism and liminology so that i know exactly like what you mean by that
1: yeah um ordealism I mean these they're, they're both sort of terms that continue to evolve, but the sort of jumping off idea for ordealism and sort of where I started with it uh, was really kind of a meditation on uh, the sort of pain or horror of embodiment in time and duration so a kind of horizontal way of feeling one's place through the world and the sort of difficulty of uh or task of meaning making as it relates to duration and embodiment so i think that i Henri Michaud is a writer that I like a lot, and he uses the term ordeal a lot, and Blanchot does as well. So there's the kind of idea of um living in time as encountering these trials sort of in it in an in in an initiatic sense, but also uh The idea that to even have an obstacle, you have to kind of invent that obstacle for yourself um, in order to overcome it. And a sort of meditation on that, like Zeno's paradox idea of, um, you know, you keep splitting a distance and then you never arrive at a destination. And that being something that is sort of intrinsic to uh, artistic expression or any kind of goal-based thinking about being alive um, you have to kind of invent you, you split yourself in half in order to kind of create a point A and a point B toward which to hurl oneself and uh, it's not always easy to do that so um, at least in terms of uh, sort of spatio-temporal relations. It was kind of my meditation on that and its difficulties. Um, liminology, in the next book will focus more on that idea, is kind of uh, taking that kind of existential horror of ordealism and turning it into a kind of um, techniques of ecstasy in that you know in passing through any kind of threshold or threshold state you're sort of adapting to the process of moving through it. So you're kind of constantly evolving along with what would otherwise be considered an ordeal, but it's kind of an appropriation of of that initial sort of experience of of discomfort or burden maybe and kind of uh kind of establishing like a more vertical axis. Um, So it's not like a closed circle. It's more like an open spiral that allows, allows you to uh, experience things in a way that isn't as like honed in by the notion of, okay, so these are the rules of having a body and living on earth.
0: <laughs> mm. Okay, that's interesting. And I think that's useful. I'm not sure what to do with it yet, but I know that it's useful. Um I I anyone who's listened to the show before knows that I I'm very enthusiastic about this type of writing and this type of thinking, but ultimately very much um about as knowledgeable about it as a puppy, right? Like like i'm i'm very excited to be here i'm i'm very enthusiastic about it um but but i'm still not quite sure what it all means and um
1: well i was going to say that if i felt like i fully understood my own work it probably would no longer be of any use
0: right to
1: me. so it that's the kind of open circuit idea where like the the book even as like a closed object is still open and that it interacts with other texts and ideas and is kind of a living thing that I also need to be able to approach again and experience something new from. So mm. it's not like just the fact that it's published isn't like, oh, I'm done with this idea or something. It continues to be something that I live alongside and interact with
0: right i mean even the the text as out through inside the castle is kind of an embodiment of that right like because it's Mm -hmm. it's got so much more in it than just the text who which name i'm waiting for you to say so i don't pronounce it incorrectly
1: (laughs) oh uh, angula
0: angula yeah that's that's nowhere near how i was reading it in my head But, uh, yeah, I mean... I'll
1: probably pronounce a bunch of stuff because I'm including people's names because I'm really only used to seeing these things written down most of the time.
0: Right, but there's, I mean, there's there's more in the end matter section than there is in the ungula section. Yeah. Which I like and, and find super cool. So what was the sort of idea behind that?
1: Um... Well, originally, Ungula was supposed to be published through M. Kitchell's publishing project, Solar Luxuriance. And at that point, the the sort of initial text was probably somewhere between, I don't know, 30 and 40 pages or something like that. Um, And then when that project was discontinued, I think that Inside the Castle was still relatively new. the fact that the first book published, apart from John's book, Platt's was an M. Kitchell book, Mm -hmm. kind of recommended it to me. But also, I had published uh, John in this journal Plint that I I edited, uh, sort of an excerpt of Apparitions of the Living. So I had been in, contact with him before and knew sort of what his interests were and it seemed like a good fit so and i think we talked about the book being published a long time before it actually came out and so um both you know it was conceived years before <laughs> it came out so it was like a six year long thing Um, between when I started writing the initial text and when that book finally saw publication. So, um, but yeah, I mean, everything that is sort of encompassed in Inside the Castles philosophy is something that I was already naturally predisposed toward. So it made a lot of sense.
0: Right. Yeah, I the The more texts from inside the castle I read the more i I realize that it's not uncommon for the book for a book to be more of like a codex um like in that it just has a lot of things kind of in it uh which is something that I enjoy um just as a like just as like a book object sort of thing right because historically you would compile things into a codex that it was just like you would go to a scribe and you'd say hey i want like this 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 and this written down and bound into a book so i can just have them all together and yeah i, I just i enjoy that there's an aspect of that in modern publishing um even if that's not necessarily the sort of Idea behind it.
1: Right. Yeah, I think in looking at um, more ancient texts like Gnostic texts or um, like Kabbalistic mysticism, things like that, there's a lot of, you know, question about authorship, but also it was something that was kind of considered largely irrelevant at that point. Mm -hmm. So I, I can appreciate that part of it. Uh, and I like reading that stuff, and I also like that it kind of supports this notion of like text is this homogenized field that sort of, you know, it exists outside of, of time and place, and it doesn't really matter when it was written or who wrote it, because your experience as a reader is like, well, you're experiencing it, then, you know, like in Mm -hmm. the now and uh, and in reading it, you're like coexisting the text, in my opinion, as much as as much as the author is, because it's it's like a relationship. So um, and, you know, even people who engage the idea of sort of like this, uh, like the death of the author, the author like disappearing, like Blanchot was really interested in that idea but he still signed his name to his texts so you know he wasn't so interested in it that he didn't participate in it that way but i i still really enjoy thinking about um text and publishing more along those lines than in the kind of cult of the author sort of branding exercises that happen And Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I think I would rather just pick something up and have a relationship to it and be disarmed by it, often without knowing what I'm getting into, you know? Right. Being surprised by something, that's, you know, like, uh, that's one thing that, inside the castle is very reliable for
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah i i feel like especially more in the past like couple months i've i find myself more attracted to approaching literature from a like mystical slash religious um sort of framework than like a philosophical or um I don't know critical analysis sort of way uh and obviously books that are written by people who are who are more interested in similar things to me um sort of tend to have elements that make that style of reading and thinking much easier um but it's been interesting to just like go through and and read books with characters and plots and stuff like that too, where it's uh, you know, the relationship with the author and uh, even the context to like when something was written that uh, like it's important, but also not super important. I'm thinking like there's a Jewish mystical text uh i think the safer yetzera that Mm. scholars are like yeah it was written either in the sometime between like the third and 11th century and it's like okay well that's a long time to (laughs) like you know if it was written at the beginning of that there's there's a context that is there and if it was written near the end of that time there's a different context that was there and you can see in the text you know that it's connected to neoplatonism or whatever um but you know 800 years that's an awful long time i mean hell reading a book that contains you know the internet as as a like major force in the book uh is contextually very different if it came out in the 90s than if it came out in the 2010s um, right so it's it's been an interesting experience trying to like reconcile exactly what that all means you know to like taking the work itself on its own terms trying to figure out what that means for the work itself and then engaging with the work after that does that make sense
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, I think that there's a lot of, well, it just depends on what the gloss is. I mean, some people are really into the sort of historization of reading. And it's like, well, you need to know all this stuff about context. But I think that, you know, I feel like if the text wants you to have context, it will include it, you Mm. know? So, um, and I don't read a lot of stuff that like when I was editing plinth, the kind of condition for accepting anything was that there wasn't anything that localized it in Mm -hmm. time and place because I wanted everything in the archive to be, to have a longevity where you could continue to approach it. You know, if it's the website's still around 50 years from now, my hope is that it would still be relevant, you know, for that reason, or there was nothing really dating it. Um, And I, I don't read a lot that is rooted in time and place so much myself. So I do like, I really like Cormac McCarthy, for Mm. example, Mm uh, I like reread The Crossing not long ago, and um, I mean there's there are certain authors that kind of transcend those strictures, those contexts. So, um, but like to to refer to like you know like the Suffer Yetzera or like the Zohar, for example. There's all this stuff that you know. The person who wrote it, even if they were born later, wanted to create the illusion that it was much older than it was. There are all these sort of embedded references to books that may not even exist because it's supposed to sort of create its own historicity. You know, it's like uh, a little bit like, I don't know, if you have a dream, have you ever had a dream where you're like, oh, this is a recurring dream, but you, can't really be sure if it is actually a recurring dream or if the idea that it has been recurring is just a part of that one instance of dreaming. But it's also not really important, maybe, either way, you know? You're just kind of splitting hairs about it at that point.
0: Yeah, I, I'll have dreams where, like, the timeline is... uh not correct but like in a way that makes it feel like oh yes i remember this like so i'm creating context for myself as as things are happening and you know the way that the brain works nonlinearly, it's like i have a whole memory that i'm pretty sure i dreamed before this but maybe i didn't even dream it at all sort of thing so yeah like uh i i, I think i get what you're saying and and the whole like like alchemical texts are very much like that too, where they're all very like, you know, the, I forget the name of the one guy who supposedly has like hundreds of works ascribed to him, even though maybe he didn't even exist sort of thing. <laughs> um, so that's an interesting idea too, especially when you bring it to the future and you think of things like, oh, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it, house of leaves that does something like that. Or, Mm-hmm. even more modern like youtube based args that have like you know their hyper diegetic world building just in like snippets that that's definitely an idea that that i can get behind um so i'm i'm, I'm yeah, in, creating, go ahead creating,
1: create, yeah oh sorry go um, ahead yeah of creating a depth or like an is an illusion of depth I mean we tend to think about like the dating these texts as being it's like well here's how and why this thing has its relevance but um if you're kind of world building in that particular kind of way it seems it doesn't seem very important if uh if the if the depth is there or if it's just the illusion of death, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like, I know Mike Correo is kind of into this idea of, like, it's sort of world-building, but he's interested in the idea that these things don't actually connect. Like, if you were trying to map these ideas across his books, you would just get confused because mm-hmm. they, they aren't, like, there's no actual, like, lineated mythology or anything like that that he's dealing with. It's more like... Um, you're supposed to be tantalized in the, the idea that that's
2: there, or some such thing.
0: Yeah, he he's talked about how he has like he has tropes, right? Like, uh, what is it? Pines like teeth or something like that. Rows of pines. Um, <laughs> that's so funny because I was just going to bring him up because the idea of like historicizing, uh the the world of literature uh that Inside the Castle is part of um is is sort of futile in that you know it it's a six-year process to get Angula published through Inside the Castle and Correo has like a book or a pamphlet or something coming out like every other week so it's hard <laughs> yeah it's hard to like you know you have to contextualize by era even um, but that, but because the internet is so fast, you can be like, oh, it's the solar luxuriance era versus the aphonic space era. But like, you know, people's f- text files are sitting on their Google drives for 10 years before they even remember that it's there and then publish it again. Um, yeah. So, you know,
1: yeah, I kind oh, go ahead. Sorry.
0: Well, I was just going to say that I, I, I'm, I'm not even sure that historicizing our little tiny world of experimental or book uh, or object oriented writing is even all that possible, um, because of the sort of anti-group uh, feeling that I get from everybody. Right? Like people are are happy to be friends with each other, but. Um, if I were to place a genre name and and lump a whole bunch of people into it, I think almost none of them would be happy about that.
1: <laughs> right, yeah yeah I um I don't know i I liked the sort of it hasn't really caught on but the idea of expanded field writing because you know inside the castle it's like oh literature in the expanded field and then there was that eleven eleven anthology um voices in the expanded field mm. and i like the idea of uh like if somebody asks you like oh what do you write i i write the expanded fields <laughs> you know <laughs> it's like well what does that mean it's like well if you don't if you don't know i'm not going to tell you um just kidding. Uh, I, I run into the problem a lot when people ask sort of what I write. I end up just saying text anymore because that's how I think of it. I don't really, or just like books, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and the sort of historization thing is really like the province of academia anyway, which isn't something that I'm very interested in myself. You know, there's this kind of idea where some sort of innovation happens in literature as a whole. And then it's gradually territory, territorialized into the Academy. Like somebody's able to be like, well, oh, I'm teaching this, you know, mm-hmm. um, but by the time it gets to that point, it's passed through so many thresholds that it's it's not like a new and exciting idea anymore often by the time it comes to that point. And so people who are interested in in expanding the field or whatever, I think they're always, like Creo's a good example of that where he's so engaged in his process that it's just like, It just goes faster and faster and faster um but i feel like what you were saying before about something sitting on your drive for 10 years and then completely forgetting about it like that's that's more the process that i'm involved with like i feel like i have to completely forget the thing and then re-encounter it somehow and then it's both easier for me to edit at that point but it's also having had time to forget it, it's easier for me to know like what the text itself was trying to do or how it fits in with these other ideas or pieces. So it's this kind of idea that the text has its own agency Mm. as a living thing. And it's like, well, I didn't know what to do with this. I had to completely fit about it first. And then by the time I re-encounter it, it's almost like it exists on its own as something that I didn't even make. Um, And then I know like how to sort of sequence it or curate it. But I like this kind of like animistic idea of the materials, like physical or otherwise, because there's kind of ritualization present in it. And that's kind of what I'm, I'm mostly engaging with in my process. Like I handwrite a lot of things Mm. and like put them in a drawer and yeah, forget that they're there and then find them later. Um, So it seems more like discovery than like, I'm some demiurgic force with the text, like crafting the thing. Mm -hmm. Like That's still sort of present, but I like more the idea that it's something that's just sort of continually being unveiled and i'm participating in it alongside the text or the materials
0: i like that uh, the thing that sort of strikes me about that is that you have to there's like a a trust that has to be there that has to to take place like between you and yourself and I guess, I, I don't know if this is, is, like, just coming from me. Like, my own, uh, you know, fear of the finiteness of my time that, like, I, I get on myself when I haven't written in a couple of days sort of thing. Where, like, hey, bud, like, you're not getting any younger. You should probably try to get some more stuff out there. Um, and the sort of, like, just, you know, writing... To write, and then letting a text form, whatever that means, and then coming to it, putting it together, and then putting it out is a very, like, you, it doesn't seem like there's room for anxiety there, which I think makes the work ultimately different from a lot of other things that you would read.
1: Yeah, I like the idea that it requires a trust and uh, a sort of faith in the materials um, or in the process. But I definitely understand that anxiety too. And I think that that shows up a lot in Angula because it's kind of the idea of like the trace or the footstep mm-hmm. or the mark that's made as evidence that you were even here and kind of a lot of the text in Ungula sort of resent the idea that, you know, like, why should I feel that way? Like why should I even want to, why should I feel like I have to make anything in order to like deserve being here or, you know,
0: sure. justify
1: my existence in some sort of way through Artifacts and evidence So um, And that kind of ties into The sort of existential Despair part Of that book And the notion of ordealism That I was talking about earlier
0: Right Yeah But I mean it's good to
1: be vigorous You know (laughs) Right
0: yeah I think one of the, one of the things um is a bit bit of a sidestep but to talk about like the, the actual writing itself um I was looking through my my sticky notes but I have quite a lot of them and they're all the same color which I should have like color coded them or something there's like a lot of not a, not so much that it is like someone could use it as like a marker of your style, but there is a non-trivial amount of like little internal rhymes or like very close, um, rhyming words, um, mm-hmm. that I really enjoy. Like that, that something's like, Oh, I do something like that sometimes too. Like I enjoy to write like that, but try to hold myself back from it sometimes because I'm always afraid that it'll come off not the way that i want it to um but the fact that you do that i really enjoy and so i'm what what do you think about what you're writing as you're writing it like you know because obviously everybody has a voice and, and a preferred style to work in so like what is your relationship to that given you know how you treat the writing after you've done the writing
1: Yeah, um, it's interesting you're pointing that out because I do think that I privilege sound and the auditory um, when I'm writing. It's like there's a kind of rhythm to it, and I like these moments where it kind of approaches song, but not quite, you know? It's like on the edge of a kind of musicality that would more commonly be seen in, in verse or something, you know, um, as we traditionally think about it. And that moves I make, like, I don't really know why I make them except that they feel right in the moment of writing them because it's kind of trance based in a way. And, uh, you're improvising when you're making anything. Mm -hmm. So, um, which is not to say that I don't go back and change things, but I usually am editing for sound after the fact, Mm -hmm. you know, like this line needs one more syllable and I don't know what it is, but I know it needs to be there. And, um, so there's a lot of that I feel like.
0: Mm. So
1: there's also the kind of like, tight tightrope walking of like making the thing and having that trust in, you know, how you use the space of the page or how you use internal rhyme or that kind of thing. But um, But yeah, it's really intuitive. It's like I'm not like smithing the thing. <laughs> like mm-hmm. super hard you know like right. hammering it on, um, like be- because it feels really like kinetic to me and like uh, forces in motion sort of so that's why there's a lot of uh, things that in, in that book that could seem like I don't know sort of prog-y in a way mm. <laughs> like some sort of like, time signature change or something like that sure um and that's a lot to do with like the sort of design of inside the castle books or or the like you know like a change in font size or something like that will slow down or speed up the reader experience in a way that i really enjoy. Uh,
0: yeah, i'm i'm always delighted by just the sheer size of the books um they're they're quite they're generally quite large and like the sheer disregard for the paper itself I, I find kind of delightful too right like yeah there's four lines of text on this page that is eight inches tall or whatever nine inches tall uh mm-hmm. that I'd, I do find just kind of delightful and and in that I'd flip to the to the spread that says ain't no scene like an anthropocene because an anthropocene doesn't stop or don't stop, <laughs> yes. um, like so. There, there is an amount of playfulness that creeps up, to That is another thing I, I appreciate about the writing, um, where you know you you do get the sort of kitschily. I wake in the corridor, face down in the corridor. Somehow, raise my hands to its terminus. And then sometimes it's just like an old school hip hop sort of sounding thing that if you do parse it is like quite, quite dire, you know, like the idea of an unending Anthropocene is it's kind of dreadful to think about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot about, um, sort of imagining past or future, epochs uh the the notion that you know the flood myth and the is like like the epic of gilgamesh is the oldest story that we really have Mm -hmm. and the flood myth is something that has carried over it seems miraculous that we're even able to remember that there was a flood you know but Mm -hmm. it's just like um i remember i was reading Rudolf steiner years ago and he wrote about like the Atlantean epoch and the Lemurian epoch and the Hyperborean epoch and all these things and was sort of talking about what consciousness looked like during those times which whether you treat it as something um, I don't know factual in quotes or if you're just thinking of it as like a sort of science fictional idea it's still like opens up this idea of deep time or like slow time, like the idea that in order to evolve hands, human beings have lived for like billions and billions and billions of years, Um, that we used to be something more like, (laughs) I don't know, ectomorphic or something. I don't know. Um, So the sort of idea of like the sort of circularity of time is like engaged a lot in the book Um, but I you know I was talking to somebody recently and there's this idea that like you know I mean the the earth's going to be fine whether we're here or not so right I'm not too stressed out about it Uh, (laughs) but and really you know it, it is dire and you know sustainability is really Postponability. But, mm. um, you know, if we're not around, it's like we had a good run. So,
0: <laughs> I mean, I think even that's debatable, but that's not a, a debate <laughs> yeah, for right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, that's an old George Carlin bit, right? Is he's like, man, the planet itself, you know, the orb has survived ice ages, volcanoes, earthquakes, hurricanes, like a couple of plastic bags isn't going to, isn't going to do anything to the earth itself. And that sort of, um, uh, personifying of the earth as like only a thing, what can sustain animal life is interesting to me. Um, but, but going back to the sort of deep time thing, uh, that sort of brought me around to the other thing I'm really taken with, with regard to the book is all of the sort of microscopic photography. That's part of it. Um, Yeah. I'd like to hear you talk about your decision to add those and what it is I'm even looking at.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I, the sort of like creaturely metaphor of just being this thing, like crawling around, on the earth um or sort of an engagement with the body i wanted to convey that but somehow like non-specifically so and it's also like funnier you know like the closer you get to something the more it starts to look like anything else in some way you know i like that the sort of um electron microscope photography looks as much like some uh fantastic planet like alien landscape sci-fi thing as it does you know like we know looking at it that it's an organism but you don't know which organism it's <laughs> mm-hmm. more just the idea that it's conveying a general idea of organism but also something that you could be traveling through so there's a kind of collapsing of architecture and the body and like writing as a way through the body or through time. So there's a kind of like journey into body and organism that the book is trying to convey. And that was just one of the ways that I thought to Mm. do it.
0: And it kind of even starts out with that, right? Because you have the dotted line at the first page that says tear with the talent along dotted line. Um, and uh, that idea of like, I don't know, the, may, maybe it's not exactly what you're getting at, but but an idea that I've been kind of obsessed with for a couple of years now has been like the body as alien to you, even though it's your body. Um mm-hmm that sort of thing like you know freckles appear and disappear hair grows in different places and then stops growing in other places and so on um so yeah i'm i think i'm right there with you i also really enjoyed the uh, the horse hoof that later had uh, like a train superimposed on it i thought that was really cool too I don't have anything, like, super intelligent to say about it other than just, like, aha, I like that a lot.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, ungulate, like, the word itself, it's usually associated with um, deer and... uh, because ungulates are the specific kind of mammal. Mm -hmm. But it also means hoof, claw, or talon, and I liked the, that it could mean all of those things yeah. and that it's really sort of like the sort of thing that we use that, you know, marks the earth or is evidence, you know, so like the stylus as an extension of the hoof or the claw, mm. um, that kind of thing. So you're sort of, I, there's a kind of like technology of the body or just sort of, I'm obsessed with the idea of like, technology in its most abstracted sense. So I'm not really engaging with it as as deeply as somebody like, you know, there's like the Marshall McLuhan, JG Ballard, like Cronenberg type mm-hmm. idea about technology as an extension of the body. But I like that more like the idea that the body is an extension of technology in a in a wider sense. So it's not like the, the the causality and the agency is sort of like reversed hmm. that way.
0: Hmm, that's interesting. I don't know exactly how to respond to that. Interesting. Um, so instead of me just floundering, um, I do I do want to bring up the Unwind Unraven li- literary because I was kind of Googling around after that. Um, Well, wasn't really entirely satisfied with the amount of information I found. So I thought I'd just go to the source and ask you about it because it's mentioned (laughs) in the acknowledgement section and plinth is attached to it and there's other things attached to it now. So Mm -hmm. I think that's like a good place for people to, to go next, probably after encountering this work.
1: Yeah, um, Plinth is definitely, that that was the sort of culminating project. It was a collective, and it still exists to a certain extent, but sort of less actively. Mm. But in general, it was um, founded in Portland in 2008, and there's been kind of like a rolling roster of people who have participated in it. But sort of how it was originally envisioned was just giving a name to the writers and artists who deal very specifically with the intersection of writing and metaphysics Mm. um, and the sort of spiritual aspects of Writing and sort of charting that yeah. across time and media. So, but at the same time, it'd be like, so Unwin Dunraven are two characters from a Borges story, for example. So I would say, like, oh, Borges was a member of the Unwin Dunraven literary ecclesia. You know, it mm-hmm. doesn't matter if they do or not. <laughs> it's more like this is the sort of box that we invented to catch this idea. And um, so. We did several events over the years, and then we did plant. But similarly, like the timeline was slow on that. Like it was the first issue was designed a couple of years before we did the first issue, and then we did seven issues and sort of wrapped it up. But we also had like a Ritual Noise project called Clothes. Um, so it kind of fractaled out to be less like literary in quotes and kind of dealing with, or maybe dealing with literary in a larger sense than just books. Um, And I feel like it's more of like a stylistic thing, but I also like the idea that like the, the Ecclesia exists but it's like dormant at times um it was really more of like because it was a collective effort even if it was just like you know there may have been like 10 people functioning in it at one point and then like a few years later there were two you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) but uh but i think yeah it's more of a sort of conceptual and thematic thing so when i thank them in the acknowledgements it's kind of a nod to that like that larger idea that i was talking about like i i think i also like sort of lump the the writer of the epic of gilgamesh into like oh these are also Ecclesia yeah. uh, members uh, but it's just yeah a way of thinking about that kind of, uh, mystical literary nexus and being really invested in that idea in a devotional way, I guess.
0: Hmm. Okay. So I want to move even further back in time then, because whenever people come to, uh, a place like this I'm always I'm always very interested in how you got here um you know how how did you come to writing as a, as an exercise that you do and then specifically the schools of thought that surround the writing that you do and how you think about writing
1: yeah um Well, it's kind of hard to say. I don't know if there's like any kind of eureka moment where something changed for me, but I do know that, I mean, I probably, I started reading recreationally probably when I was like 14 or something. And then I was publishing in like a, sort of like alternative newspaper in my hometown as a high school student. And, um, and then, so I, I've been writing for a long time and studying trends and literature for a long time, but I feel like there was a moment when I was probably like 24 or 25 where and I would always been really interested in comparative religion and mythology and stuff like that. And, uh, so I guess that was always kind of like a latent thing. Um, but then I sort of encountered, uh, some of the ideas and like Gnosticism and Neoplatonism and stuff. And it's like, well, Oh, okay. I didn't know that there was a word for this, mm-hmm. but, There was like self-acknowledgement in it. I'm like, oh, there's like a whole school of thought that like really describes how I experience things. And I've been trying to formulate these things for a long time, you know, as like just somebody who thought a lot and had a tendency toward abstraction, but I didn't really have a vocabulary or anything for it. So then I got really into reading about these things. and then that kind of became the larger kind of concern, or if there was sort of a like a calling or a vocation behind it, that's kind of that became the the impetus for it. it's like, well, I'm interested in literature but it's animated by this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And now I know what that stuff is. So, and then I just began seeking out a lot more material and I've always done a lot of research. So, um, it just became another thing that, that I was looking into all the time.
0: Okay. I
1: see. And I was more interested in like mapping across systems. Like, I'm not actually interested in any system in and of itself. I'm only interested in how it connects to other systems Mm. or other ways of thinking. So, um, which makes it hard to like, you know, do something like write a book review because I feel like I can't ever like look at one thing without tying it into like a dozen other Works or ideas or something. And so I'm like really mapping across media more than I'm able to sort of isolate any one idea. Like for me, that's what reading is, is being able to sort of see what these affinities and associations are.
0: Hmm. I like that a lot. I, the, the idea of mapping across systems, I think is, is a bit of a, of a, of a point for me. Cause I feel like I'm, I'm, that way too where um i mentioned uh a while back one of the one of the first couple times i talked to mike creo and i think it was off the air uh that like it was very hard for me to learn about the occult as you know kind of an umbrella term because every time i'd open up a wikipedia page i'd get like overwhelmed with uh excitement at how much there is um mm-hmm. and then i just like close it i'd never read it because it's just like it's, it's way too much right like I, for some reason i was i was i had like the wikipedia page for alchemy open and like <laughs> it's just it's so big and you start getting into stuff with like sulfur and mercury and like it just becomes too much that like i i never read it and so like Having to find specific YouTube channels or whatever has has really helped recently. But like that idea of um, you know, I'm I'm less um, interested in you know the Babylonians at this specific time than I am like how Zoroastrianism influenced early Christianity, which spreads up through you know and like how we see how that affects uh evangelicals today and then like over and across to like it's a very sort of neural network of connection that i have in my brain rather than like a very specific sort of like um man i really need to learn about you know iron age uh, clay tablets with divination spells on them, or something like that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, I mean, now there's some pretty good resources for actually finding this sort of that kind of mapping. Like, I don't know if you've heard the Schwepp podcast, the Secret History of Esotericism Mm-mm. podcast. Um, it's like very well cited and very scholarly. Um, they're really great conversations on there it's like very academic but it's also very like it's like okay in order to find those threads or i don't know it's it's always nice when you have somebody who is doing that work for you <laughs> you know right um but uh but yeah all i really love the whole like wikipedia whole thing mm-hmm. holes within whole. um A good example of that was like the other day I was going through, uh, I was going like down like a Kabbalah research hole and I found the origin of Melville's Ahab, which was, I found like it's a word uh, Rahab or Rahab and Hebrew means blusterer, and it means rage, fierceness, insolence, and pride. And it's also the name of a mythical sea monster in Jewish folklore that is like the same thing as leviathan or tiamat or something like that. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, it's funny because I've researched adjacent terminologies before and I was seemingly studying a totally unrelated thing <laughs> to Moby Dick, but I chanced upon it at this precise time and it was like uh seemed really revelatory, but um, but yeah, I end up getting trapped in etymology stuff all the time. <laughs> Just like it's, it's fun for me. I think that part of it is that I, I'm an autodidact, like I, with the exception of like one year when I was 27, that I enrolled at Portland state and didn't go to any classes, but like just exploited the shit out of interlibrary loan to, mm-hmm. to find all the really rare books, like books, where there's like one copy in the entire library system of the United States. Um, that's what I did with my time there mostly, but I think that because I never had anybody telling me to do research or spoon feeding me any like path toward the ideas that I was interested in, it became a thing where like, okay, I can read all these like hyper academic texts and literary criticism for fun because nobody was ever telling me that I should do it. And I only did it because I was interested in it. So, and I think that everybody kind of has a way of doing that now. You know, with the internet, ideally. Mm-hmm. Like if you're interested in anything, you can find anything. So sometimes there's texts where it's like, you know, some dissertation that costs like a hundred and fifty dollars for a copy, yeah. and I get really frustrated for stuff like that because I'm like, Well, it really should just be open source, you know. But um but yeah, that's like it's a passion thing really and so i think that it's just one research is is a vehicle for that and being able to take seemingly disparate ideas and weave them together you know so like i'm reading a lot about media infrastructure as like meaning making devices right now and trying to like think about that in a sort of materialistic way of like, like I said, I'm like handwriting a lot of things. And so it almost like it sort of disappears into this place where I'm thinking about semiotics very abstractly, you know, that like every sign and symbol you make is a door into like another sign or another symbol or a sort of recapitulated understanding of what came before it um just like you know like a word isolated doesn't have any meaning you know it has to be surrounded by these other signs but once you start surrounding it with other signs it's like they're they just become doors into other signs so they're saying about that kind of deep dive into wikipedia or something like i'm not really interested in like marvel comics but i'll end up remembering some character or something (laughs) and i'm like oh yeah i wonder what the deal was with that guy like i don't really uh, know if i care that much but i appreciate that i can just like pull something up and like get the entire rundown of this fictional character as they've been (laughs) like i don't know somebody's been writing this character various people been writing this character for like 50 years or something and i'm just digesting it and like a five minute increment. I don't know, it's funny to me. Like downloading all this stuff and hoping that it's useful to me.
3: This world lost its tail in our ongoing game of Connect Four, fallen into grottoes as into an ancestral home, the lord of the manor a dead god gazing back at you in the glass you think, oh no, not you again. And so it is that we press the reset button at such a speed and such frequency that we may just as well be holding it down, suspending ourselves hyper statically. though you may recall the first man or Androgen frozen at the center of an iceberg in the higher waters prior to the advent of our coming dawn could be cowardice, dividing and dilating in distance and definitely Embedding ourselves in the landscape and slow time in such a way that no one would notice we weren't the very notion of context itself. For example, we were staring at the wallpaper. For years, we were staring at the wallpaper. And we didn't notice much. It was one of those relief ball-sized depictions of a dense forest scene somewhere in the Pacific Northwest, I think. After some time, the scene began to seem something like an allegory for the act of staring. Or just as well felt to be existing us so much as we were there to see it then one day though it hardly makes sense to say all of a sudden we noticed shapes we noticed Chased, slow, moving in the image, deep within and also of it. A group of moss covered sloths, making their syrupy way, hanging, it seemed, as much from the trees as they were from one another. Their moment that of a single many limbed creature at the glacial pace of one monosymbolic word intoning itself over eons. And we knew this was our family portrait. It's for this reason that I began eating plastic in order to fill myself with it, become one with it, fortify myself with it, like magma flowing and burning through the veins of the earth and offering sacrifices to Our Lady of Polystyrene in hopes that when those current gerrymandering of continents are sunk and burnt, I might shamanically take up residence on one of these new ones we've made and have commerce with those new species that will have sprung up there Reading old computer chips as precious gems and relics of the immemorial.
2: Different. down the coast Admonish me with gauzy eyes The rank and file dawn gives light The spine that snaps a wind to bloom A spore that solves the afterlife The pound of flesh I need to win. That we're here,
3: circumscription of what perhaps we were in the fogged horizon line, the procession of a single figure etching the threshold, forged meteoric trajectory of our eternal, golden till lead, pulled upstream between the teeth of celestial cogwheels, red white, black, and back again. The crystalline gears of greater worlds spin against the driving of an astrolabe, white-knuckle-clutched as though piloting through or trying to steer a storm. A black orb whose arrival reminds us of what all cannot allow itself to be thought. If we... The hungry and battle-fatigued, self-elected exiles are in the grand summation to be lifted, yes, lifted up, exactly as up. What relic and parable will an existence condensed be left to favor those who will not yet have departed? Such artifacts have been known to occur, cropping up across epochs. As though ruled by an alien ecology, our bones succumb to metempsychosis. How is it, this here we are? Circular weaving of astral filaments intersecting a crepuscular meadow? In an insect's pub crawl pace, we traverse in interlocking spirals toward the talisman that may deliver us from future motion, from the assailing voices in between born bound by esoteric names and phrases. Our own sigil, though, is yet to be determined, For this reason, we're obliged to trade one outside for another. Our shared skull abandoned or escaped in the aftermath now to be treasured.